Come on, come on! Uh, that's a shame. Alright, I'm gonna call NBC. Officer! He's stealing my car! Officer, I was carjacked! I was held up at gunpoint! And he took my wallet, everything! Okay, thanks anyway. They can't get another plane. All right, what's wrong with the plane we got? They're just checking it out. Oh, oh, no, 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 not getting on there. Come on, let's get something to eat here in Sticksville. All right. Hold it right there. What? You're under arrest. Under arrest? What for? Article 223-7 of the Latham County Penal Code. What? No, no, we didn't do anything. That's exactly right. The law requires you to help or assist anyone in danger as long as it's reasonable to do so. I've never heard of that. It's new. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Let's go. A Good Samaritan Law? Are they crazy? Why would we want to help somebody? I know. Th that's what nuns and Red Cross workers are for. George. <gasps> He said that being a Good Samaritan is a job of nuns and Red Cross workers. In our verses in Luke 10, you would think that it might be the job of priests and Levites because their job it was all about the things of the Lord. They took care of the tabernacle. They worked in the tabernacle. I mean, they should have known better, you would think. But no, in Jesus' story that he told, it was just like Jesus to turn common wisdom of the day on its head. And you probably remember that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. The Jews felt like the Samaritans were a lower race, they were a mixed race, and their, their theology was inadequate. So Jesus, as he always does, he dismantles pedigree and position, and he leans towards those in the margins. We who are so privileged often become desensitized to our given or seemingly earned advantage. This kind of privilege does not impress Jesus then or now as he throws privilege in the face of the expert in the law and makes the Samaritan the hero. The interrogator, George, Elaine, Kramer, Jerry, we, we can tend to wriggle out of these questions that impact our very lives, the hardest questions. But we really don't want to be like this man, I know. We don't want to overthink it. So for this morning, instead of doing that, we are going to look at the plain, the very plain, literal meaning of the answer to the question, who is my neighbor? It means at least this, the people that are in my neighborhood the people that I live in proximity to. On my street, in my complex, in my community living, uh, in my uh, apartment next door, in my trailer, these at least are our neighbors. It's no accident where we live. Our context gives clues to the way that we can live our lives. And not only did Jesus tell a story as an example, he instructed him what to do. Theologian Franz Leinhardt put it to a fine point. One cannot define one's neighbor. One can only be a neighbor. And we cited Cornelius Plantinga's definition of shalom early on in this series, and he had written, the webbing together of gods, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. We call it peace, 
but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire among enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, delight. Stephen Garber renders Jeremiah 29.7. It says, Seek the well-being of the city, for when it prospers, you will prosper, or when it flourishes, you will flourish. The well-being of our cities, our neighborhoods, our well-being, our flourishing is all interconnected together. Luke's Gospel says the priest and the Levite saw the man and they ignored him. And the Samaritan saw him and was moved to action. There is power in seeing a person and there is indescribable pain in being invisible. Those with hidden wounds, with illness, those who are ignored. You have probably heard the, the stories of the homeless who say that being ignored, feeling invisible, can be as difficult it is as it is without being a home. The powerless on the margins are the most invisible of all. And there may be people right across the street in your neighborhood who may be in the margins according to where we live here. They might be the people that are underemployed. They may be the elderly. They may be the single widow, widower. They may be the people who are not the ideal neighbors. Who dog, the dog runs into your yard and does his business there. It may be the neighbors that don't keep their lawn mowed. It could be the neighbors who are the party animals or who have cars that are, that are out in their driveway and you just wish they'd get them taken care of. Professor of Christian Social Ethics, Christine Deepole, says that when a person who is not valued by society, or even in your neighborhood, is received by a socially respected person or group as a human being with dignity and worth, small transformations occur. Instead of ignoring, if we see our neighbors, just think, we can cause small transformations or big transformations to occur in their lives. Hear the words of Matthew 25. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whenever, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you have done to me. And as for us, when we see and realize our opportunity and to do in the name of Jesus, it's amazing, and I don't understand it, but it, that's what he says, that when we do these things, we actually do them to and for Jesus. And we are the ones who are blessed. So Jesus tells his interrogator, go and do likewise. Now, this topic of being a neighbor and the shalom there that we want can be a huge topic enveloping the brokenness of the world, so much so that we have no idea even where to start. When I was at one, just even one meeting at the denomination's annual meeting this, these last few days, um, in one meeting, the topics of devastating poverty, mass imprisonment, horrible racism, sexism, sexual abuse, um, devastating addiction, these were all discussed and they are all more than worthy of our attention. 
so much so we can actually grow numb, we can grow cynical, and we can get stuck. I mean, where do you start? What difference can we make? So this morning, we're bringing it right down, just easy, right within our view, literally, our neighbors and our neighborhood. Shalom in our neighborhood. A few years ago, our staff read a book which asked us the question that we wrestled with, which transformed the way we do ministry. The question was, if your church were all of a sudden plucked out of your neighborhood, would your neighborhood notice? Would your neighborhood be glad you were gone? Or would you be sorely missed? We can take that to ask us as a people in our neighborhoods. If we, if we in our neighborhoods, if we all of a sudden moved away, would our neighbors notice? Would they be glad we're gone? Or would we be sorely missed? These discussions we had on staff started us on the path toward more intentional interaction with our community right around the boundaries of this church. The block party kit, an aid to helping people get started in getting to know their neighbors, gathering their neighbors in their neighborhood. Fourth Friday concerts where we move out from the church into our neighborhood, bringing a free, wonderful event that adds an added value to our neighbors. Gets, helps, to, helps the neighbors to get to know us and to get to know them. Work with our schools, so many things that we do, and there is more that we can do. We do, as Pia was mentioning, we do so much over the globe. It is such an awesome call that this church particularly has. But at the very least, we really can't ignore those who are in our view. Rain falls on the good and the evil, God's common grace. All good gifts come down from the Father of lights. We are meant to participate with our Father in being good gifts to those with whom we live in proximity. We are meant to be living out shalom, perfectly certainly. We are meant to bring shalom into our neighborhood. Uh, but does that mean that if we are to be purveyors of shalom that we need to have our lives all sewn up and looking good? Do we have to have all of the answers? Well, I hope not, because you know how obnoxious know-it-alls are. Trying to project as an all-knowing and perfect is an impossibility. And it's also a serious liability when it comes to living the Christ life in front of others. It only adds to the growing perception of Christians as hypocrites. And then it brings shame on us that we are not living as if heaven is fully achieved on earth, which, by the way, we have not been promised. We have a taste. We live in the times in between. We have a taste of the kingdom of God. Jesus brought it. We are living in the in-between times, and the kingdom will fully come and cover the earth. But for now, we are living that only partially. N.T. Wright says, I love how he says it, he says, Everything in all creation will be put to rights. Klein Snodgrass, in his sermon to our annual meeting on Friday, described shalom as wholeness, the experience of living out our salvation and life with God. He spoke of our participation in the gospel. There is a telling of the gospel, certainly, as the Spirit leads and tees it up. But also in our neighborhood, we can live it out first. After all, 
These are long-term relationships. This is not a one-time meeting. Additionally, it is such a comfort to know that the shalom that we have from the Lord shines most brightly when things are going awry in our lives. God's power is made perfect in weakness. His light does shine more brightly in the dark. Those are truths, and I'll tell you, if we tell those truths to a person at the wrong time or with insensitivity, they become platitudes and they hurt. But we can live knowing those truths because they are true. Certainly, in my experience with my family, shalom over the years uh, shone most in the difficult times. It was because we knew our neighbors, we were close enough to our neighbors, that when we had job loss and trouble with the family and, uh, of course, Doug's illness and his, um, his finally when he died, uh, we not only were able to, not perfectly by any means, uh, but to display our shalom that the Lord gave us, but also we were able to receive, receive from our neighbors, and we needed them so desperately at so many times. And when we can live with shalom, in difficulties, it's intriguing. And it is that that we can hold out for people to grab onto, and that is hope. And now, from the ridiculous of Seinfeld to the sublime, listen to Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pain of childbirth right up into the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And that is why we can have shalom because of what we have tasted in God's kingdom here and now, because of our hope of God's kingdom coming in full and covering the earth. We follow Jesus in this, the Prince of Peace, the one who gave us his peace, the peace that the world doesn't know, the, wor the peace that the world cannot take away. Jesus is our peace. He showed the way. Listen to John 1, and I'm reading from the message. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. What a picture we've been given to follow. Jesus always shows us. He not only tells us, but he shows us the way. Now I'm going to transition. Hopefully when you came into the sanctuary, you were given a little tool, this little piece of paper. And um, on this, we went to a seminar called The Art of Neighborhood, and it showed us this tool, which we found very helpful. And this is simply a tool to help you to see if you know or if you'd like to know who you live near, who you live next to on either side, who do you live in the back and the front. I know when we first moved to our house 10 years ago, I had a little cheat sheet and I started writing down people's names, what they did, their kids' names, if they had any pets, so I could remember. And this could be used for that too. And then on the other side is the uh, 
acronym, BLESS, that we've used. We've been using this for a couple years, did small groups on it a couple years ago. And this is a way to start. Um, for some of you, this is like, I ah, don't even need it, but for some of us, we need some place to start or it can help us to start again. And so this is one way to do it. And the B stands for begin. We always begin with prayer. See what God is doing in the neighborhood. See how we can pray for them. Even if we don't know anything, we can pray that God would bless them. See who God highlights in your prayers and continue to pray. The L is for listen well. Sometimes we are so eager to go and to tell people and uh, to tell them what we know before we listen. And so this is the word that we listen, we ask questions, we get to know people. People are fascinating. The people that look the most boring are really the most fascinating if we can get to know them. And so we listen, we learn about people, we find out what they're like. Eating together, this is just, this is having a cup of coffee, uh, having a meal together. There's something about breaking bread with other people that is nourishing, not only to the body, but to the mind and the spirit. Hearts open, conversation flows, and so eating is always a wonderful thing to do. And then the S, serve your neighbors. You know, they're right there. <laughs> you can see if their lawn needs mowed, if they're out of town and their papers need to be picked up. Uh, if, if you can uh, loan a cup of sugar or a ride to get their car fixed. And also, let your neighbors serve you. We, it, it's a pleasure to serve someone, you know that, and we don't want to take away the joy of somebody else serving us. A relationship is reciprocal, so it's serving, it's a give and take, a natural give and take that we can do in our neighborhood. And then share your stories. And we put this last, and this is not in any definite sequential order, but it is once we know people and we get to trust them and they can trust us that we can really start to share, share our stories. They know us, we know them. We know what, what part of the gospel in particular would just sound so good to them because the gospel is so good. It is such good news. So you can grab this or some on the way out and it's just a little device to help if that, if that would be something you'd like to do. And now, um, I had a wonderful conversation several years ago as I was taking a group of youth and some of our volunteers to the airport. And um, Grant was one of those, and we were talking, and we found that we had a shared passion for our neighborhood. And I have a quite a terrible memory, but I remember something that Grant said. He said as we were talking, that, you know, over the years, I've learned to think of myself as a pastor to my neighborhood, a pastor in my neighborhood. And I love that. And so I would love for you to hear from Grant for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, first thought is, uh, good morning, by the way. Uh, my first thought is, uh, gosh, I don't want to be the Ned Flanders. You know, that, that uh, from the Simpsons, you know, the, the Christian guy that everything is perfect about his life. And, you know, he hollers over the fence, hi ho neighbor, you know, and, and Homer Simpson, and God bless you. If you don't watch the Simpsons, you're not missing anything in your life. Um, uh, but, you know, Homer Simpson is just irritated by this, this guy that claims to follow God, and, and he just seemingly has it all put together. And Dory, I love the fact, well, let me tell you something I love about Doris. One, that she plays a Seinfeld clip in church. 
and two, that she goes out on a limb while Mark's out of town and brings me up on stage. <laughs> she is a risk taker. I love that about you. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I've lost my way. I don't know. What was I saying? What was I saying? Simpsons, yeah. I don't want to be that guy, and I don't think any of us want to be that guy. We don't want to, we don't want to have learn tricks and stunts in church. Um, we don't want to be coerced into to, to, uh, to having a guy, you know, some bearded giant come up and say, hey, if you, if you do it like this, and then we cellophane it, and we put it for sale in the bookstore, and then you try it, and it doesn't work, you know, on your neighbor. Like, they're an experiment. Like, I heard a, a pastor once uh, talk about... Uh, you know, reaching out to your coworkers and, and neighbors and just your community in this world. Uh, don't treat people like, like they're in a Petri dish and you learn things in a book or uh, in God's word or, or uh, at church and you go home and you just kind of do this little droplet and hope it works, you know. Um, instead, you know, just lean on the Spirit of God and invite the Spirit to, to just call you to be attentive to those people that he places near you. Uh, because you don't want to do it just like I do it. I'm, I said in the first service, I'm kind of an odd bird. I'm a weird, weird guy. Um, you, you'll learn that more and more time you spend with me, not in a creepy way, but just in a, um, I just kind of march to the beat of, of a different drum. Uh, this exercise for a lot of us um, is going to be tough. It, you know, we may, some of us, honestly, lead such busy lives. I don't know what all our careers are that have us going in different directions. We're all wired differently. So we might walk out of here today just feeling a sense of shame. Like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, does that make me a bad neighbor? Does that make me a, a, a poor Christian that I can't put names here and this guy can, you know, up on stage? No, I, I just think that, that just means maybe hopefully we're prompted to say, gosh, how could maybe I adjust my life, my schedule to where I can make more time uh, to get to know my neighbors, uh, but to, I don't, to lead a life of shame thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm pathetic or whatever, that's just not of God, okay? You're listening to the wrong spirit. Uh, the Spirit of God um, has prompted me to be just that unusual duck that if you know me in my neighborhood, raise your hand if you are my neighbor, by the way, okay? Okay, yeah, and the more you know me, um, I saw your hand way back there behind the glass. Um, the more that you know me, I'm more of a, a show you than a tell you. So this is uncomfortable for me to be up here and to be concise is even more uncomfortable. I would be better served to have you guys just jump in my vehicle and go for a ride along uh, to show you kind of uh, who I am. Uh, it's not a stunt. It's not a trick. It's not something I start the day going, I'm going to go get them. Okay. Uh, as a follower of Christ, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get them. But I have a I have a business, a lawn and landscape business, and uh, so I am mobile throughout the city, and taking care of lots of clients. But my clients are my friends. Um, they're not just an address that I go to and I do service, and I leave and and collect payment. Um, I want to get to know who's in that house. Um, and so let me put a pause right there, as you know, kind of what I do for a living and all that, and how I kind of move throughout. Uh, my day and tell you kind of where that began, where that desire to want to get to know who's in there and, and know stories. It began uh, because I, I, was, I was shown that, uh, not told that by my parents, but they modeled what that looked like. Growing up in my neighborhood, 6926 Benson over in Merriam, it's one of those small little cities that hasn't been swallowed up uh, by Overland Park, but um, um, yeah, it, 
it was a, is a modeled thing. I watched my mom and dad take care of Edith next door, okay? They still weed her flower beds. My mom goes over there. She's in her 70s, and she's weeding for the lady that, um, yeah, it's probably, gosh, probably in her 90s, and, uh, and takes her to our hair appointments, and I get to hear the stories of her taking Edith, and she has to adjust her calendar. If she can't you know, come over and help me, she's like, I, I got to get Edith to her her hair appointment and I gotta weed her flower bed. And then there's Rosemary that I used to mow her lawn, Anita's lawn, and then there's Nellie and Joe um, who I used to mow their lawn and help Joe out of his chair when he couldn't get out of his recliner because it didn't have one of those little lift things. And, uh, and then there's you know Jack and, and Jan across the way that later on got a divorce in their life and so we were, we were well aware of how that kind of fractured the family and how, what we could do to kind of help with that situation. Then there's Brad next door and Dottie and that's the weirdness of who I am, is that I just remember everybody, and I remember the new ones that are next door to them today. And I carry that into my neighborhood with the same mentality as what Dory's saying, is I don't want to leave this earth, and if there is such questions, I don't, I don't know that it makes it clear in Scripture that God says, you know, at, at some pearly gates or whatever, what did you do with the people that I placed near you? But what if? Um, what if there is a sense of responsibility that God calls us to with the coworkers that he places near you, uh, with the neighbors, um, with the people that you bump into, uh, convenience store, Starbucks, grocery store, hardware store, whatever, that God wants us to be responsible for those divine appointments uh, and saying, hey, were you a a, a person of peace? Were you a neighbor to them in a way that you weren't trying to get something from them? Maybe if I'm nice to them, they'll let me borrow their chainsaw. You know, maybe if I'm, don't we have that mentality sometimes is I'm going to give in order to get something back. Um, well, if that's your motivation, you know, God's word, I think warns us of that is, is uh, you have not because you ask not, but sometimes you ask and you don't receive because our motives are impure. You know, we're just off. Um, you know, I can look at my card, and this is not a trick to kind of pat myself on the back, but this is just really easy for me. And it, like I said, it might be dis difficult for you, but Tony and Wilma are catty cornered. Rob and Vanessa and Wilma just passed away um, two years ago um, via cancer. So we're a lot more attentive to Tony than maybe what we were before, recognizing uh, that might be a lonely house, and he may have needs that he didn't have uh, before Wilma left. Rob and Vanessa. Vanessa is a pediatrician, works nights, and so Rob stays at home with the kids, and, and they have two kids named Tesla and, and Callan. And this isn't to get to know my neighbors necessarily, but this is just kind of walking you through. I don't just know their names. I get to know who they are and what they're about. We built a, um, a, uh, a fence because our dog was jumping out of the yard all the time. I mean, he was literally escaping. He'd climb this chain link fence and get out. And I didn't want to put one of those big privacy fences up. I was just so uh, against that. Uh, God bless you if you have one. Um, enjoy the shadows it casts on your lawn and, and the never seeing your neighbors. Um, but as for me, I hope that's not an indictment on privacy fences. Um, but uh, as for me, that whole front porch uh, living sermon was beautiful. It was like, how can we get out from behind these things that prevent us from getting to know our neighbors and get out in the front and, and see people coming home from work or leaving or walking or, or running or, or, and, and, and engaging conversations? Well, we had Chris Burge, called Chris Burge, um, and he and his team came over and put in a, 
uh, just a garden fence, and that allowed us to continue what we already had, this great community with our neighbors. Um, you know, Craig and Evelyn to the corner. And we put little compost bins up in the corner so that our neighbors could throw their leaves in there, grass clippings, banana peels, kind of told them kind of how it works and it adds fuel to our gardens and you're welcome to borrow some for yours. So it's this little like farm. And I grew up with a little bit of farm in my history. So I always loved it when we went up to the farm and literally as you drove down this gravel road, people would just wave at you everywhere. There was just this sense of just, you are my neighbor, even though you live acres beyond me. It's just this, this kind of hometown feel. Um, you don't get that in every city that you go into, especially um, if you're a transplant and you move into the Midwest, people talk about, man, people are genuinely nice here, you know? Um, Mike and Rebecca next door with Sarah, Shoshi and Meyer, Jerry and Sarah on my other side with Elliot and Owen. Uh, Ryan and his wife is a question mark because I can't you know, remember it today, and I'm thinking, well, I probably need to get to know her a little bit better if I can't remember her name. With their kids, Austin and Cole, Christine and her daughter, Christine, which is easy to remember. Richard and Nancy, who have five kids, three triplets, two boys, and that's just who borders my property. If you get in the car with me and you ride along, I get to know so many other people. I could walk you down the line and say, there's David and Erica next to Mike and Becca, and then there's Joanne, and then there's you know, Joe and Kelly, and then there's, you know, Brian, and then there's Dale and Lois, and then there's, and it just goes on and on and on. Why? I don't get points for this. There are people that are a whole lot more fascinating than I am. And if I am so wrapped up in me that I think I'm the most important and amazing person on earth, that's a pretty shallow life to lead. So the more you get to know other people, the more you hear stories that aren't yours and you can kind of vicariously live through them and go, this is amazing. People are amazing. Like you have lived a life I've never, never heard of. This is crazy. Tell me some more stories about your time in the service. Tell me some more stories about your son who was the first to, you know, get to space, you know, and, and did the kind of the, 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 what do you call that? The master controls to kind of keep track of the spaceship as it goes up. You know, you live on my block? Wow. These people live near me. And on and on and on, you just get to know things because you carve out time in your schedule to, as Dory put on this card, to listen well. Because it's not just about, and I'm really good at this as I go over time, it's not just about running your mouth, it's about shutting your mouth off and listening and kind of hearing from people and recognizing when, if at all, you need to share the gospel, okay, in terms of audibly. Uh, I don't go looking for opportunities like an agenda to insert a scripture verse, you know, thinking, well, that's what I'm prescribed to do at church. I try to become the gospel to people, meaning if there's no address verse that they can connect to the Bible, I hope that the way in which I listen to somebody and the way in which I interact with them as a neighbor is evidence there's something different about this guy. And there's something within him that is just genuine and there's a trust there that says he's not trying to wrangle me into Hillcrest Covenant Church or Christ Church down the street or Bethany Lutheran or what he's not trying to push me anywhere he's just living life on life next to me and he wants to take care of my needs and I do um, and it's it comes back to you not that you do it to get something back 2007 I had a seven-year-old daughter Mallory who was attacked by a dog in our neighborhood and uh, it was bad uh, it was, uh, 
it was a moment where you think, man, if I was one of those guys that nobody knew in the neighborhood, and I just went into my garage, shut the garage, and didn't get to know anybody, and I had a blank card instead of a card that's full, and I actually need a bigger, you know, tic-tac-toe thing, um, we wouldn't have woken up the next day from all night in the emergency room and plastic surgery and, and seen the signs that were stuck all over in our yard saying, we're praying for you, we're so sorry, the cards, the, the people that did everything they could to just come and minister to us and say, gosh, not you guys, you know, not this family. And it was just touching. Uh, to be on the serve, being on the served end of having people serve you was uncomfortable, as I'm sure, Dory, you well know, with Doug's loss. Um, you sometimes feel more comfortable serving others than you do receiving people that want to pray for you because you're just like, I don't want to be prayed for. I don't want to have this be a reality that I'm in this position in life, that I have somebody hurting within. Um, but I was reminded that that's a beautiful thing knowing that you're out there serving others and then when your time of need comes and we just don't know when that is there are there there are people there i had a neighbor named ray who didn't have that his card was blank and it was blank by choice um, ray was a salty character um, ray's putting his trash cans out dead of winter falls breaks his hip and i'm there putting my trash cans out and i hear him groaning laying on the concrete driveway he lives alone. His wife died long ago. And I go over and attend to his needs and ask and kind of try to diagnose. I'm not an EMT, but he's in a lot of pain. And uh, his garage door is open. Grab a folding chair, put it right there in the garage to get him up off the cold concrete, lift him up into this, you know, the, the way he tells the story. He's like, I was just amazed. He just lifted me up like a sack of corn, you know, and he was kind of just bothered by that, like, man, I, I kind of lost my manhood by the way you just, you know, just picked me up and put me in this chair. Called the EMTs, ambulance came, took him, and then I visited him in, uh, I think it's the Forum over here off of 95th. Uh, and that began a journey of getting to know Ray, not from a standpoint of maybe he could be a client of mine someday. Maybe I could do his lawn. But in an effort to say, Ray, you're my neighbor, and best as I know, you kind of close yourself off from everybody. Maybe this is an opportunity to figure out if that's the best way to live your life. And you can't start over, but you can start right here by allowing other people to serve you and take care of you. And then maybe you can get to be known and people can be served by you. Maybe you can provide something, you know, for them. And it's messy, guys. About as messy as probably my notes trying to tell this to you when, like I said, it'd be better shown. Um, I'm a mess. I don't do everything perfect. In fact, I use that as a platform to talk to my neighbors about struggles I have in my marriage in hopes that they too have common ground and we can help each other. Um, I don't say, hey, let me tell you about my perfect marriage and my three perfect children and my perfect dog that no longer gets out from my backyard and, and this perfect church that I go to with perfect people you too could come and be perfect. That's ridiculous. And that's what we're coaxed to do sometimes instead of saying, we are a body of broken people, hopefully going back into broken neighborhoods that Dory indicated that have all sorts of train wreck things going on. And maybe, just maybe, we can take that brokenness and be humble.
because as God's word says, if you are humble, you know, um, you'll be exalted. But if you go around exalting yourself, you will surely be humbled. And to simplify things, um, I think God says it best when he tries to always take what he knows is probably just a mess of information and reduces it as he's being tricked into naming the greatest commandment. And, uh, you know, he's like, man, I got this. You think you got me? Um, it's real easy. I'm not trying to say life is easy. I'm just saying, simply put, we need to be focusing on loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, our mind, our strength. Give him our time. Adjust our schedule so that he has the opportunity to set appointments for us, conversations. And then the, he said the second is like it. And he didn't. I paraphrased that. The second is like it. Say it with me. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's what I hope I've done for you today. Don't become more like me. Just know that the Spirit of God has each one of us uniquely in this room today to be prompted to do something amazing in the lives of those special people that he's put near you. The ones that irritate you, you know, and the ones that are beautiful people waiting for them to just tell you a story so that you can say, man, that, that's amazing. Um, can I tell you about somebody who's impacted my life? And maybe you'll get that opportunity to just show people how amazing God uh, is and the love that he has for each one of us is uh, rather than just leaving cards in people's mail and telling people, you know, biblical addresses of where to, where to find this hope. So thanks for giving me this time to talk just about the neighbors that I love. I hope you too um, have these types of stories and I can get to hear them from you at some point in time. Thanks, Dory.